Keeping It With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is brought to you by TKM Incorporated. This company located in Moss, Tennessee, specializes in erosion control, hydro-seeding, hydro-mulch, silt fence. They do minor excavation work, and they also provide traffic control and construction signs. Their mission is keeping people safe. Their passion is wishing that all men could be saved. TKM stands for The King's Men. If you'd like to contact The King's Men, you can contact them at 931-243-3958, 931-243-3958, or you may email them at tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. That is tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. The King's Men, in partnership with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. SJL General Contractor is a full construction company that primarily focuses on civil construction and asphalt sales in the Huntsville and Fayetteville regions. Services they provide include, but are not limited to, road construction, asphalt material, underground utilities, site work, and demolition. They employ heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, pipe layers, and CDL dump truck drivers. If you would like for this company to work for you on your project, or if you'd like to work for them as an employee of this family-owned business, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. Or three W's and a dot, sjnl.com. That's www.sjnl.com. SJNL General Contractor is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones. Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. We were in McDonough, Georgia, and we had driven down to McDonough, Georgia to spend a Monday through Friday studying with a man named Evandro Nunez, and he is the lead instructor for Gracie University when they teach Gracie survival tactics. Now, Gracie is the family name of the folks who invented Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And so we had gone through level one and I had been instructing at the police department for the past year. And now they were going to allow us to recertify. And in addition to recertifying at level one, become level two instructors. And so we had gone down there to participate in this workshop. Uh, I was allowed to attend as a civilian, which I consider to be a great honor and a very humbling thing that the department would uh, spend the money to let me do that, even though I'm not a police officer. And so we were down there uh, with these guys, and uh, the instructor, like I said, was Evandro Nunes. Uh, Evandro grew up with a single parent, and uh, he learned a street fight in Brazil, and then he learned Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he became a world champion. But he also developed a passion for law enforcement. And he really believes the heroes in the world are our first responders. Uh, he'll give this little speech that you pay a guy millions and millions of dollars to play basketball, but the guys who play basketball may be selfish and they don't have anything that they would die for. But the police officers and first responders stand in the way 
and stand between people and evil, and they have things they'll die for. So Evandro is not only a, an excellent teacher, and he's not only supremely gifted at his sport. At six foot seven, this uh, wiry Brazilian would be a a force to be reckoned with if you had to grapple with him. But not only does he believe in this sport, and not only does he believe in in his art, he really, really, really believes in law enforcement. And he presents his material in such a positive way. He has an infectious smile. Uh, he speaks English, but with that Portuguese accent. And so sometimes he'll get his words mixed up, but he has this get-out-of-jail-free smile. And if he asks a question and you offer an answer and your answer is dumb or your answer is stupid or your answer demonstrates that you don't know what he's talking that you don't know what you're talking about Evandro will turn it around he'll go oh yes thank you oh this is excellent but this is not the best and his code word for you're not doing everything you should do he never he never corrects you in a negative fashion his his correction is always oh yes you could do that, and, and it might work, but this is not the best. So on this particular occasion, and, and, and we did several, several days of, of uh, learning techniques and then practicing them, and then on the last day, you actually have to wear a duty belt with a, uh, a pistol, a fake pistol in it, and you actually have to wrestle uh, for several minutes blindfolded and and prove that you're competent in these survival techniques it's a it's a pretty interesting class a lot of fun but the particular thing that we were learning was a takedown and it's a takedown from a standing position now you know if you've ever seen any body camera videos you know you see police officers body slam or get body slammed or slam people into walls the cool thing about gracie survival tactics or the gracie brazilian jiu-jitsu is you know jiu-jitsu is known as a peaceful art and so you can control a person with minimal effort and with great efficiency. Um, the, the only complaint I have uh, about the way we employ it or the way we do it is because the current political uh, environment, they really don't let us optimize the, uh, what I would call a chokehold or a vascular restraint. Uh, you know, you, you put a guy in a proper chokehold, and it's a blood choke, so you're not squeezing his airway, you're not hurting his his uh, voice box, you're just cutting off the flow of blood to the brain, and they peacefully go to sleep. And it doesn't matter what he's on. You know, if he's on crack, or he's on coke, or he's on PCP, you know, you take a guy who's cranked up on some kind of weird drug, and you break his arm, he'll continue to fight. But everybody goes to sleep. And putting a guy to sleep is way more peaceful than watching a guy be beaten into the Stone Age with some kind of force multiplier. But we only use the vascular restraints in uh, exigent circumstances or in a life or death or somebody's disarmed you or somebody's tried to get your gun. Only complaint I have about the way we employ our system. But anyway, in, in this particular class, we're learning this uh, this throw. Now, a traditional judo or martial arts type throw usually involves getting in close to a person, elevating them on your hips, or dragging them across your body. Well, because of my height or lack thereof, if I step into a guy, I've got his arm controlled, and I do a spinning step and step in beside him and try to elevate him on my hips, I often run out of me 
<laughs> before I run out of you. And so I'm not very good at these throws, but sacrifice throws I'm built for. Now, a sacrifice throw basically means that you give up your posture, you give up your standing in order to drag this person to the ground. And the particular throw that we're learning is you're grappling or wrestling with a person while you're standing up and you slip into the side or you slip in behind them. And then with your arms around their hips, but without hugging them, your arms are loose then you block one of their feet with your foot and you just simply sit down with your knee straight. And when you sit down, your weight drags them to the ground across your body and you roll up on top of them and you're in a dominant position. Now, now the way this sacrifice throw works is my arms are around the opponent and instead of hugging their body, my arms are out away from them. And when I put all my weight behind them, my arms drag through their space, hit the hips, compromises their posture, compromises their base, and it throws them to the ground. It, it works like the, uh, the ball and chain that wraps around Wiley Coyote's foot and snatches him off the mountain. We, in fact, we refer to it sometimes as the, as the Wiley Coyote throw. And so we're practicing this, this sacrifice throw, and there's several versions of a sacrifice throw. There's a monkey roll. There's what I call a fool's roll. Um, but, but this particular throw we're doing, we're just calling a sacrifice throw. And, and we were practicing this. And one of the, the participants in the class, she's from our department, is this absolutely petite little police officer. Uh, she's, she's a very tiny uh, young lady. Now, she's a very competent young lady. She's a CrossFit athlete. She's in, in incredible physical shape. Uh, she's got good endurance. She's got good strength for her size ratio. But we get to talking about this sacrifice throw, and she's like, and I'm having trouble doing that throw. I, I just can't drop myself to the mat. Well, I'm trying to be, you know, Captain Encouragement. I go, well, you know, that's you know, all you got to do is just fall. And she said, well, you, you've got to understand that I spent a vast majority of my life as a cheerleader. Well, instantly you know that if she's a cheerleader, she's a flyer. She's the person on top of the pyramid, not the person on the bottom of the pyramid. She's the person they throw, not the person doing the throwing. Uh, my daughter played collegiate volleyball, but she's only four foot 10 inches tall and weighed about 100 pounds when she was in college. And at one of the universities that she played for, the cheerleaders would invite her out to their workout sessions just to practice throwing people. And when I saw how high a muscular cheerleader could throw a little tiny girl, I was glad she played volleyball and didn't, and didn't, and didn't cheer. But this, this cop that was with us said, you know, you've got to understand that as a competitive collegiate cheerleader, one of the rules in my life that kept me alive was, hey, you shouldn't fall on the mat. You shouldn't hit the mat. I've tried to avoid hitting the mat for the majority of my life. And now all of a sudden, we're just going to willy-nilly fall on the mat? She says, I'm having trouble doing that. My rules of life say you avoid falling on the mat. Well, what we have used to keep us safe, we like to continue to use to keep us safe. Even when that strategy seems to be counterintuitive to us. I've, I've never lived in a house as a child or as an adult that I didn't have a rope swing. 
I've either had a rope on an artificial tower or something anchored to the eave of the house or something anchored to a tree limb or a rope that I could go out and, and put up at will. But everywhere I've ever lived, I've had a rope that I climb and then I swing on. Well, if you play games as a child swinging on a rope, you learn to hang on to that rope. And if you do things that I do as an adult that involve using ropes to ascend things, you learn that that rope is your connection to that rope is your safety. Now, you take a guy with that ingrained belief and you take a guy with that ingrained behavior and you put him in the water behind a boat and you say, here, Lonnie, hold on to this rope and we'll drag you through the water. Well, if you're lucky enough to stand up on those water skis and go zipping across the lake, that's an incredible amount of fun. It's, it's a lot of freedom. You really enjoy it. But all of a sudden you get wobbly or you lose a ski or something happens and you fall into the water. Most normal, intelligent people let go of the rope. Well, a guy that grew up with, with ropes in his backyard and every backyard I've ever had, I've had a rope. The first time I fell off a set of water skis, the last thing I was going to do was let go of that rope. I'm in deep water. I'm uncomfortable in deep water. And the only thing that connects me to the boat is the rope. I'm not letting go. Well, guess what? You learn to dredge the bottom of the lake. I didn't know a catfish could make a face like that when I went rolling by him drinking half of Lake Martin. But you have to learn in certain circumstances that what works in the backyard doesn't work behind the ski boat. What works in this context doesn't necessarily need to be employed in that context. And all of a sudden, we have to change the rules about why I do what I do. And it feels like it keeps me safe and it feels like it keeps me alive. But does it really work now? Now, in the original situation, if you don't fall on the mat as a cheerleader or you don't let go of the rope as, as a climber, does it work? Yeah, it works. And so why should I change it? Well, the rules have changed. You see, sometimes we develop be develop behaviors be because of the rules that we live under. The rule of a cheerleader is don't fall on the mat. The rule of a guy doing acrobatics on a rope is, hey, don't let go of the rope. But you take that same idea and put it on a jujitsu tournament or you put it in a jujitsu context and hey i've got to fall on the mat in order to break your posture in order to keep me safe and now falling on the mat doesn't equal being unsafe it equals being safe letting go of the rope behind the ski boat doesn't doesn't mean you're unsafe it means that you're safe the same thing that kept me alive and safe in one context i now need to do the opposite in order to be safe and alive and that's those are hard lessons to learn you know, in the original context, people who, who have behaviors that are adaptive, and a lot of our human behavior is adaptive. We do what we do because it works or it keeps us alive. Well, I may look at somebody's strategy for behavior and I may go, well, I don't think that works. I don't think that's smart. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's optimal. But if you really break it down, you ask the question, did it work? And the answer is, yeah, yes, it worked. Well, how do you know it worked? Well, I'm still here. Proof of concept. I made it to this point in time because of this strategy. So the survival component of it worked. But now you got to ask, was it optimal? Is it the best? And does it continue to work? 
Well, now, well, well does it work now? Well, well yeah, well, maybe. Well, sort of. I mean, it feels like I should still be doing this. But maybe it's not the best. Because once we begin to analyze our behavior, we recognize that it's hard to abandon strategies that we've used to keep us alive. It's hard to abandon strategies that we've used to keep us safe. See, sometimes we learn to criticize and it's an insulation. It, it helps us feel superior. It helps us feel secure. Sometimes the way we respond to criticism by withdrawing or avoiding is, is a way to keep us safe and, and a way to keep us alive. Sometimes the the way we behave insulates us from betrayal. And so we can't be honest or we can't be vulnerable. And it feels like it keeps us safe and it keeps us alive. But the same behavior in two different contexts is probably not optimal. It's it's probably not the best. Hey, what's the purpose of this original strategy or behavior? Why do I do it? Well, I don't fall on the mat because it keeps me safe. I don't let go of the rope because it keeps me safe. Okay, I understand that. Does that same strategy work in this context? No, I've got to fall on the mat in order to do the throw so I'll be safe. I got to let go of the rope so I don't get drugged through the water so I'll be safe. And I'm afraid sometimes that we superimpose the context of our family of origins on our family that we're married to. And we treat our in-laws by the same rules that we treated our step-parents. Or we treat people that have worked with us like the people that we used to work with. And using or employing a strategy that is anchored in survival behavior that no longer meets that goal is not only counterintuitive, but it's counterproductive. You see, what's the goal of this behavior? And if it doesn't meet that goal, then that behavior either needs to be abandoned or modified. You may have to learn to let go of some of that behavior. You may have to learn to let yourself become vulnerable and fall. Old behaviors, old strategies, designed or just discovered to keep us safe and help us survive, get ingrained. They feel like they're a part of us. They feel like they're rooted into our DNA. And in some cases, it still feels safe. In some cases, it works a little bit. But until we learn to fall, until we learn to be vulnerable, until we learn to let go, it may work a little bit. I mean, it still sort of works. But the question you've got to ask is not, does it work? Does it work a little? The question you've got to ask is, is this the best? Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. I am your host, Lonnie Jones. My wife, Jackie, and I moved to the city of Huntsville in 1986 for me to be a youth and family minister. I have been a minister since 1980. I have served in this community as a police chaplain assigned to a SWAT team since 1992. And I've been in private practice as a licensed professional counselor since 1998. I'm also an adventure educator 
and an avid outdoorsman. I dabble in rock climbing and I goof around with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Our life has been full of many wonderful experiences and some just outright adventures. I used to write about those things in a little church bulletin article. So now instead of asking you to read those things, we're just going to talk about them in our podcast. And as we talk about them, we're going to talk about the facts. The facts lead to concepts and the concepts lead to application. One caveat about the facts is for the most part, we're going to tell you the facts just as they happened. But every now and then, we're going to tell you the way other people have told us they remember it happening with a little bit of embellishment. It's all good, clean, fun, and for educational purposes. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy Keeping Up with Jones.